Hello and welcome to French Football Weekly. I am Philippa B and I am I am taking over the chair from Chris this week who is here. Uh, hi Chris. Waves. Hello. Uh, and we're also joined by Jeremy Smith. Hi Jez. Hi. And Rich Allen. Hi Rich. Hello. Because we're having a bit of a special this week because a very important Frenchman has resigned. Uh, so this is going to be an Arsene Wenger special uh, from French Football Weekly, looking at his career overall, his impact, uh, what's happened in uh, most recent years and what might happen in the future. So we will start, obviously, with uh, Wenger's start in France was he was a, a player. He did play football. Some people sometimes seem to forget this. I think he he was a centre-back for, for Strasbourg for a couple of years, um, who during that time won uh, one divisional. Um, but then, obviously, he's most known as a manager. He started at Nancy from um, 84 to 87. Didn't go brilliantly well. Uh, they ended up being relegated in his, his final season there. But then he spent... Um, seven seasons at Monaco, during which time they won Division 1 and also won the Coupe de France, beating uh, OM with, says here, a 90th minute winner from Gerald Passy, which must have been uh, extremely enjoyable. So his time at Monaco obviously was part of his formation as a manager, but is there anything from that that we can um, identify what he then took forward, obviously, to his 22 years at Arsenal? Jeremy, is there anything you want to point out from there that, uh, that he took forward? Yeah, I think there's a few things. I mean, it was generally a, a very successful um, time for him, despite the fact that on paper or sort of trophies-wise, he, he won just one Ligue 1, I think maybe one Coupe de France. Yeah. But he, you know, he had good European progress. I think he got, he got to one Champions League semi-final, if I remember rightly. It was an absolute... They lost to Milan, but a disgraceful mm. dive by Klinsmann um, meant Costa Curta was banned for the final. Um, he was a bit unlucky in that they got to a UEFA Cup final, you wait for a cup winners cup. A uh, cup remember. winners cup final and a, a semi final two years prior to that. So that I think the final was played sort of two or three days after the Furiani disaster. And mm -hmm. I mean, whether you choose to believe it or not, he maintains that the players were sort of quite traumatized by that, and and he attributes the defeat partly to that. Mm. Also, they were due to play in the final. The final. So yeah. yes. And the final was obviously cancelled. So, I mean, the Coupe de France final. So they missed out on that. Um, he, but, you know, he, he, it was a very, very successful time for him. A lot of great football. And, yeah, I think it sort of, there's traits that you saw through the rest of his, or through his Arsenal career that, that were already sort of developing at um, Monaco. So kind of giving some of the older players a lot more kind of responsibility to or a lot more say in how how the team played um there was an interview a couple of weeks ago with Klinsman and Lekip and, and he talked about how um uh you know Wenger, Wenger would often sort of just ask him for his opinion on formations and if they or or lineups and if they disagreed they'd have like you know, a chat about it it wasn't like you know the clough line about if I want your opinion I'll give it to you sort of thing um 
and actually in that Klinsman was talking about he was asked um who's the most who's the best player you played with at Monaco and Klinsman talked about Djokovic who was only just sort of coming through at that time and he said how you know he would often say to Wenger look we don't have a huge squad why don't you play Djokovic and Wenger was like I know what I'm doing you know I'm gonna um give him the odd minutes but I don't I don't want to rush him and Klinsman was saying you know it, it, the the fact that players from that team Turan, Putti, Djokovic went on to win the World Cup and become you know among the best players in the world at their position um, I know Rich isn't a fan of Turan, but apart from that, <laughs> um, you know, it shows that it was kind of borne out. Um, Hoddle has talked a lot about how he hadn't even considered being a coach until he played under Wenger and, you know, the same thing. Wenger would sort of encourage him to, to talk about, um, uh, you know, his views on formations and things. And Hoddle also said, you know, in terms of training, um, it was the demands that Wenger put on them was absolutely nothing compared to, to Spurs, as in it was much more important at, at, um, at Monaco. He said on, after his first training session, him and Haley sort of at the end of the session started walking back to the changing room and, and Wenger sort of shouted, what are you doing? You haven't done your warm downs. And Hoddle said he'd never even heard of the phrase warm down until, until that moment. So, you know, there, there's certain things like that. In terms of bringing players through, obviously one of, one of the main ones is um, George Weir. And I think when George Weir won the, won the Footballer of the Year Award, he actually called Wenger onto the stage and kind of said, you know, this is the person who is entirely responsible for where I am now. So, again, shows how how good he was at developing young, spotting young talent, developing them and how much he means to them. And you've seen from tweet after tweet after tweet from mm. um, players that, that have served under him everywhere he's been, um, how much he means uh, to them. And, you know, they all talk about not just football, but sort of how they developed, um, developed how he developed them as, as men, you know, in terms of values and, and team ethic and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, the only other thing I'd say about the time at Monaco, which possibly um, came to the fore at Arsenal as well, was, like I said, although he only won one championship, he finished in the top two or three pretty much every year. It was and six he was, consecutive podium finishes um, yeah. and, and five he, times semi-final or better in domestic or European Cups, which and is he, he was very bitter. Good. He was very bitter that, um, you know, that was during the happy Marseille era mm-hmm. and you know no disputing that they were a great team but certainly he was bitter at the money being spent and uh, you know everyone I think at the time had a reasonable idea that there were other shenanigans going on I think Wenger <laughs> yeah. certainly feels like he may have won a trophy or two more if it wasn't for, for that kind of thing yeah um, I mean you, know, you saw in that's his... something that you see again with the, the money being spent in the Premier League and him sort of not being happy at having to kind of stoop to that level at the, in his second season, um, Monaco reached the Coupe de France final where they were beaten by OM 4-3. <clears throat> but then two seasons later, they won the Coupe de France, beating OM 1-0. Maybe that was a, a slight salve to that, uh, to that wound. Um, now, one thing, one tweet I saw that was interesting... Um, uh, after after the news broke was from Football as a Country, who 
talked about Wenger mainstreaming the signing of African players. Now, they were talking specifically, I think, about, about the Premiership because France has obviously had a slightly more direct relationship there, perhaps. But when you talk about George Weyer and others like that, is that also a, a something that, uh, in a sense, you'd see as being a characteristic, not just the young players, but specifically looking outside, uh, in a sense, the, the English bubble, but really far outside that bubble? Rich, what do you think on that? Um, I think I'd agree. Yeah, I think you just look at the look at the signs he's made. I think even up to you know the modern day, he's he's never been afraid of of going after the the, the players, going to the country, going to the clubs that you perhaps don't expect. Um, you know, he's 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 clearly I don't want to use the cliche term, but he's clearly a football man. He's he's passionate about um, you know watching football, keeping an eye on things. He wants to to know what's happening everywhere. And I think you just look at his transfer, um, his transfer policy um, throughout, throughout his managerial career, and and yeah, he's been unafraid to to make those. And now, you know, some of those have been incredibly successful. Some of those have been incredible flops. So it's not a it's not a policy that is completely, um, uh, you know, without without concern because it, it it's not a it's not a fail proof. He's not a you know this this magical everything he touches. Since this amazing player, there have been the flops, but you look at the players that he's he's signed. You look at then the players that he develops, um, and as you you know you, you alluded to, you saw the, the 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 outpouring of appreciation on social media. You know, I I certainly don't recall seeing anything like that for Ferguson um, when he went, and and I doubt we're you know arguably Guardiola would probably be the only modern day one that would get that kind of appreciation from. From around the world, you know the, the 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 players that he's impacted, both by direct coaching, but also the methods that he's introduced that have been passed on around the world to to you know new coaches that that people have seen who've looked to replicate the sheer number of players that he's affected by by what he has introduced. I, I genuinely don't see us particularly seeing that ever again. Hmm. I think just on the football man point, you mentioned that. I don't know if, uh, I hope everybody has seen uh, David Squire's amazing cartoons in The Guardian today, which rounds up uh, Wenger's 22 seasons at at Arsenal, one of which was uh, a little reference to after winning uh, an FA Cup, having four weeks off, and he was going to spend it watching the Latvian second division uh, repeatedly on video. Um, you do get it's the impression that the, the professor is, uh, is that's it's, maybe close to the truth. It's also worth looking at just for the William Gallas temper tantrum panel. Oh, it's, it's, it's a joy, as are all of David Squire's uh, cartoons, but this one is, is, I think, a particular joy in this case. So, um, obviously, Wenger did after uh, after that that seven season spell at Monaco, um, go to Japan and then join the Premier League. Now, one thing that that kind of interests me because I think there was a dismissive comment from from Ferguson about Wenger coming from Japan. Do we think maybe if he'd gone straight from Monaco with that record that his reception in England would have been different than having been at Nagoya Grampus uh, for for a season in between. 
does that feel like it would have you know kind of changed the way in which he was seen when he when he showed up i think it was you know a time when there was a remember this was there was pretty much no internet at the time mm. and uh there was also a lot i mean i think there still is but not and not as much and it's thanks to him not as much today but um there was a lot of sort of xenophobia and snobbery about english football which was obviously misplaced but but there you go so i think possibly if it had been um even having come from monaco unless um you know Haley and hodder have gone on some kind of massive pr campaign i think that whatever would have happened there'd have been a bit of snobbery i mm. think you know that his look when he turned up it was sort of bouffant hair and huge glasses and even the the name and the coincidence that it was so similar to the to the name of the club all of that together probably to a lot of people has made it a bit of a laughing stock but yeah i think the fact that he came from japan certainly made it worse what I don't believe at all is that Ferguson didn't know who he was. Oh, no. I reckon he knew exactly <laughs> about him. Very much so. So now we get to the Arsenal years, at which point I think, you know, uh, sensitive music needs to start playing in the background. <laughs> There's been a lot said about his impact, not just on Arsenal, but on English football in general. Um is this just rose-tinted glasses or was this um, a, a sort of a qualitative difference when he showed up and started using words like warm down and broccoli? Um, Chris, when he showed up, what do you think uh, the key things that he brought were, not just for the club, but for the general context of, of English football? I mean, there's, <clears throat> there's so many things that... Um that you could bring up um, there's been quite a lot of stories that have come out the past few days from people that would know interestingly one of the most well, one of the most interesting when you mentioned the broccoli there was the the arsenal chef uh, robert fagg who was working at the club at the time um and he was talking to radio five about this and he was saying that the the arson sort of came in and um he introduced this sort of um chew to achieve um, regime, which was uh, about how the players ate ate their food that they had to continue chewing for per- for long periods until the food was so small in bite size that the stomach would digest better, um, and the players were all sort of like over dramatically heavily chewing at the table and making almost like a kid does when he sort of got his mouth full eating with his mouth full kind of situation where they're all mocking each other, um, and and he so that the diet side of things he definitely brought in. Apparently he invited clubs, even rivals, into the Arsenal changing rooms. The kitchens to see how he did things he wasn't afraid to to keep that quiet um, his actual training regimes um, Pat Rice tells a story about um, the former Arsenal assistant manager tells a story about how he would give all the players stopwatches um, when they were training and he'd have 15 minute matches and if the game was was level at 3-3 in, in the, the training match um, if the time expired that was it there was no next goal wins it was like right do your stretch downs or your warm downs get your stuff on off you go you know there, there was no next goal wins at all there was no competitive edge it was this is training that's it done um and uh, and Dennis Bergkamp of, of all players who obviously would have a lot of experience at the top level was saying that he was so meticulous in everything he did in you know down to the fact that he wanted the players kits laid out the right way he wanted uh, the, the, sh- the shorts over the over the shirt because he, he thought the players when they're putting on their kit should should 
essentially the body should be bent forwards to put on the shorts first so that when they're putting the kit on they're in an upright position all these these tiny little things that that players would just never or the modern day you just never even think to to consider and yet now some of the methods he put in place go on at at clubs up and down the country and and i think he somebody was saying i think there's 54 foreign managers have followed him into english football whereas previous to that there was a handful at most um and and i still remember being at at uh, highbury the night that he was he was uh, announced uh, so to speak via a video message on the the old highbury wall as we had like a big um, jumbotron in the corner of the ground um, and, and just the sort of sheer surprise around the stadium, even then we knew it was coming. There's just, as you said, this guy with this sort of big hair, this massive lapeled suit, um, sort of a quite questionable designed tie and these huge glasses. That's what I will remember, these huge glasses. Um, and, and they interviewed Ian Wright after the game. I think Arsenal won that game 2-1 and Patrick Vieira actually made his debut, came on as a late substitute and, and they interviewed Ian Wright afterwards and, and they were saying, like, have you heard of Patrick Vieira, Remy Gard? And he was like, no. And then they said, you know, the famous quote, um, Arsene Wenger's uh, coming next week. Um, what do you think of that? And Ian Wright looks at the camera and just says, who? And, it, and it's just that that is the sort of the classic takeaway from all the players um, that, that thought the same way. And, and he's there's there's so many things that he's done for English football um, that have gone almost forgotten because of what's gone on and, and you know good and bad in the fan base of Arsenal recently, of course, in recent times. But you you cannot you just can't put put into words how many things he brought to English football and the path he, he paved for so many, not just foreign coaches, but British coaches as well, to change their methods, think outside the box, and, and try things that had never been tried before. So the, the, the word innovator is, is a perfect fit for us, and in, in my opinion, particularly when it comes to, to what I've watched as an Arsenal fan. I think when you look at, you know, you look at the, I think the one thing that perhaps really highlights just, you know, how long ago it was that he joined, you look at the list, sort of list of managers who were in the Premier League at that time, and you know, looking back, it feels like even then they were almost of the sort of dinosaur era. Um, you know, you had your likes of, of Brian Little, you had your likes of Jim Smith, George Graham, Dave Bassett, David Pleat, Sunas, Jerry Francis, Joe Kinney. I mean, it's the list of managers who, you know, with the greatest respect, have have all achieved something, but all of a sudden you had this guy coming over you know, to quote Ferguson, from Japan, with all these completely newfangled ways of, of, of approaching, you know, managing, coaching, running a football club, signing players, working with players, completely, completely new. And, you know, it's the sort of island mentality that, that, it, that, that, England, that England seems to have, that, you know, change, change is not a good thing. So, you know, he was viewed with sort of suspicion, I think, and it's... It, you know, it's it's perhaps testament to to the impact, and you know, clear that he knew what he was doing. That we now look at everything that modern coaches are doing, and you know, so much of that comes back to what Wenger introduced when he joined Arsenal. You know, it, it seems the things he introduced just seem now like why on earth wasn't that the norm to begin with? Um, you know, you look at you look at what you know Arsenal were like pre Wenger. You know, you had Paul Merson drinking, you know, goodness knows what, and Tony Adams drinking goodness knows what, and the, the culture of that team, let alone what it was like in all the other teams around the country. But you look at the culture in that team, 
and how he came in. And I'd imagine from his, for, from his from his own perspective, it was probably a very very tough first two years to mm. to really come in and implement this and create such a huge huge change in his own squad's mentality. Because you know he didn't do wholesale changes. You know a lot of those players that when he joined they 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 remained with the club and you know, hopefully they can look back and think, well, actually, you know what, it's, it's no word of an exaggeration to say that Arsene Wenger really saved me. Mm. You know, you think you look at the state that, that you know, Tony Adams and Paul Merson were getting themselves into, um, uh, you know, away from, away from the pitch that Wenger came in and, you know, along with, uh, you know, a lot of other support, obviously, but Wenger, I'm sure, played a hugely significant part in that. I think there, um, there was wasn't there a story that after um, after a trophy had been won, knowing that Adams was a recovering alcoholic, um, Wenger asked the rest of the team not to drink on the bus, yeah. and that's just that's a very human and a very sensitive uh, sort of aspect of of dealing with that culture, not just kind of, you know, talking directly to the player, but just being aware of how the context kind of uh, would impact them. And it's, it's that human element it's that. that human element you touch on that you look at those managers that I'd mentioned before that were in the Premier League at that time. Yeah. And they they all, wouldn't have given a shit. Frankly. No, they 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 were they were <laughs> all they'd, the, the hairdryer mm. they? Yeah, they would have done poorly. But they're the hairdryer area where their their response to somebody not performing well, the team not playing well, was also, would be to get into the changing room and absolutely wallop them. Whereas Wenger obviously was a little bit different to that. He would be looking at that. He'd be meticulous in that. He'd be running his team through training drills. He'd be reviewing footage. He'd be doing this, that and the other. And, and as I say, it just seems such a, an obvious thing now. But it, it's, it, there's so many people that perhaps don't remember just how big, of a, how big of a thing it really was and how he was viewed as this sort of, you know, this witch almost that's come in and, and doing these sort of dark arts to, to get the best out of his players that these, and I use the dinosaurs really, weren't doing. His, I think, I think um, um, if you look at his early, I mean, just in terms of his early years, um, I think Tony Adams is possibly the, the best sort of illustration of, of what he did, what he changed. I think it was only a few weeks before he joined that, that Adams had been imprisoned or, or done for drink driving. And um, uh, sorry if I've got that slightly wrong, but it was around that time. And, you know, to, basically the, the, the back four was a superb back four. Everyone knows that. And people say, oh, you know, he benefited from George Graham's work or, you know, it, that, that, that four was already there. But I think he probably extended all their careers and even players like Dixon, who was a you know, really classy fullback anyway, I think he, he improved him. But in terms of Adams, I mean, I know, not putting it all down to Wenger, but he went from being someone with, um, you know, big alcohol, alcohol problems to to this kind of philosopher person and um was I, I think you know the, the goal that encapsulates Wenger's early career is is his goal against Everton in the match that that clinched their first title I think it was four nil I uh, Chris will put me right I don't know it if was, it was yeah. the fourth goal but yeah, what the hell was Tony Adams doing sprinting up the pitch breaking the offside and, trap and, pa- and put through by home. Steve Bold clipping a, a, a lovely <laughs> dinked pass from the back over the top as well to boot. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that that in a lot in a lot of ways sums up his early time. And just oh. on 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 what Rich said, and you know the the sort of um, 
difference with the with the hair dry treatment treatment um hoddle said that sort of early on in monaco he did do a bit of shouting but maybe he's a bit more inexperienced but a lot of arsenal players said that they they never heard him raise his voice in the changing room but i just wanted to mention one story that, that i read in a, um, a book about wenger a while back was apparently after one particularly bad first half performance he he came into the changing room spent five minutes sort of being about to speak but not having anything to say because he was so exasperated and then just walked out without saying anything and obviously they completely turned it around in the second half. I have a, a similar, just very briefly before we move on as well, that there's a story that Martin Keown has about his his football knowledge where people say, oh, well, what, what would he know about football? He's come from Japan. Martin Keown um, went back to Arsenal as a, as a, a defensive coach, essentially, in, um, in 2006, just to help out with, with Pat Rice and, and Arsene to... to drill the defence and um, Martin Kieran tells a story of how Arsene Wenger would, would they, they'd come in and, and all the boys would be there saying oh you know did you um, what, I saw a great film last night or we went to a, a quality West End show or oh, yeah lads went down the pub whatever and, uh, and apparently Arsene would come in and go oh well, did anyone see um, Malaga Real Madrid on TV did anyone see Inter Milan against Spezia or whoever and um, Martin Kieran said because he was because he was part of this defensive coaching setup, he said he felt so guilty not watching these games that he went out and bought one of these European satellites off of the 90s just so he could watch <laughs> these games that Arsene was watching because he'd come in and he'd say, Martin, you know, have you, did you not see the, the Peruvian fourth division on Saturday night? And, and Martin Keown was like, I just felt so bad. I had to go and get this satellite dish. And he said, I, in the end, I started watching 40, 50 games a week just to keep up with Arsene. So, now, there's, there's a beautiful um, thread. Sorry. For, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a beautiful thread from not long after after it was all announced on Friday from Henry Winter, Henry Winter yeah, absolutely. Um, going through a few things that Wenger has done and most of them are non-football things and it's really worth reading you know, support for children with autism support for the victims of the Grenfell Tower things like that but one of them was that I think when it was a sort of big birthday of his or something and he got a, went into the press conference after a match got a round of applause from all the journalists and the journalists were all trying to persuade him to take an evening off and go out and have dinner or something and and he was sort of clearly resisting because there was yeah, some kind of Latvian second division match or something that, that he was going to watch. <laughs> yeah, I think um, just on that thing about, you know, not being the hairdryer, not shouting in the, the dressing room. Obviously, I, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts, including Ask Blog over, Askcast over the, the last couple of years. And one of the prevailing opinions, not on, you know, the plane flying banner waving dickhead contingent of Wenger out but the the people who were concerned about what had happened was that maybe his um not inability but his dislike of yelling at people might have become part of the problem that potentially in more recent times being yelled at might actually have helped in some of the the situations that Arsenal have have got themselves into uh, more recently. Chris, do you think that's a a valid kind of criticism that this hands-off, non-yelling kind of approach might not have... uh, There still needed to be some of that and that maybe that was a kind of a downside or a limitation? 
Yeah, I, I do. I do think there is something in that. I mean, our fan base is is notoriously um, bipolar. At best. Oh yeah. I mean, there there, there are all sorts of, um, as you rightly say, pillocks. Um, and there are also some very, very constructive and, and well-mannered people who, who understand the game. And I think the modern world, especially with social media, as people forget, not everybody who follows a club is on social media. There's a huge amount of people that go to games who actually know a lot more than they would you know, tweet or post on Facebook, whatever. Um, more than and I think, oh, Let's not mention that twat on here. Um, You're on a warning, Jez, never mention that man's name again. No, Chris, few please people. continue. Few people I wish, uh, yeah, let's move on. Um, but um, yeah, I think I think with us, and I, it, it's hard to know. I mean, the, the truth is, we we have a joke on our our Arsenal podcast that I'm a part of um, that that we say if he ever writes a book, it's going to be an incredible book because you never really hear the truth. You hear a lot of sort of things and bits and bobs and tidbits, but you never know the truth. And and you do wonder if sometimes, you know, he's only human. Surely sometimes he's thrown a teacup or two. And I think maybe. There or are a water bottle. Or a, yeah, well, there you go. I mean, that is a, a snapshot of the fact he does, he you know. Also probably hates it. that coat. I mean, oh, well, yeah. The, yeah, I think Puma will be quite glad secretly he's moving on. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, do, I do think that, that sometimes, ironically, one of his best points as a manager is his stubbornness. And one of his biggest weaknesses, which we'll come on to, is his stubbornness. Mm-hmm. Um, his unwillingness to change his ways. And, and the same can be said of, of Guardiola. You know, if it doesn't work, he just keeps flogging the players until it does. And if it doesn't work, he walks away. And I think, I think with Arsene, you know, the, the management style... Even at, it even comes down to the level that I manage at, which is literally Sunday League Park level. You know, I, I'm not intimidating in any way, shape or form when I rant and rave at my players. Um, and sometimes I do think to myself, do you know what, sometimes I actually need a rattle. But when I actually look at it, how many times does rattling a player really get the best out of them? Um, whereas I think if you take the time to nurture a player, take them to one side, explain things that are going wrong, I don't think it's necessarily his management style that's a problem with that. I think it's the players' personalities that, unfortunately, it's in human nature that when you know you can get away with certain things, you will inevitably get away with them. And I think when you've got a manager that you wouldn't say live in fear of, but like a Ferguson, you know, who you know is going to lay into you once or twice, you maybe think twice before you just take your eye off the ball a bit. And I think there are players, funnily enough, in the current Arsenal squad now, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how many of those, A, survive, and B, change their games or their mindsets in games under a new coach because Arsene is, is so notoriously loyal. Um, I think sometimes he, you know, he is almost too much of a father figure uh, and, and the players maybe just don't take in the instructions uh, enough in the long term when, when they know that they can get, uh, get onto his soft side, if you will. All right, so I think the next question, therefore in a sense for, for Arsenal, this might not this might be less French centric, but I think it's important, is who then is going to become the evil stepfather? Who do we think will be or who would be a credible replacement uh, for next season for Arsenal? Uh, Rich, any particular views? Um I've I sort of have been thinking for a long time now it probably could and maybe should be one of two people. Um, I think Tuchel seems to be a man that seems to be pretty much made for that job. However, I think what potentially rules him out there is there's issues, I think, with the... PSG's money? Well, there's PSG, but there's also... I I believe he may have had 
a bit of a falling out with the Dortmund scout whose name I can't pronounce. Sven Mislintat. That's the mm. one. I yep. think I think I read somewhere that there was a bit of an issue at Dortmund towards the end of Tuchel's time there that there was a Big bit time. of a falling out there. So that probably rules him rules him out. Um, the other one then for me seems quite an obvious one. I think he's ready to make that that step up because I think no matter what position Arsenal are in at the minute, it would be a bit of a step up. I think this is Leonardo Jardim. Yes, thank you. I think, I think he's, he's, he right. seems to be that, that kind of manager. He's managed, you know, precocious young talents. He's developed young talents. He's, he's dealt with big, having his best players sell, sold out from under yeah, him every year. He's, so he's, he's managed big name players as well. You know, he's, he's, you know, that Monaco, over the course of his time with Monaco, you know, he's managed the works, really, in terms of style of player. Um, and I just think he has everything ready-made to, to step into that role. You know, he's sort of a... There's a, almost a feel that he is a bit of a, a modern-day Arsene Wenger. I mean, so much as he isn't a... a, a you know, he's a very... I suppose there's a lot of them now, but he's a very... Um, you know, he's very astute, very technical... Um, you know, he's, he likes to tinker, um, but he, he doesn't come across as the sort of fire branding, you know, rocket up the arse kind of manager. And I think that's, that's a step in the right direction for us. I think he is, he, he, yeah, he's sort of the, the sort of, a, 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 you know, a Wenger-esque style of manager, but in the modern day, in a, you know, that's been morphed into how a modern day manager should be managing a team. Right. So for so, me, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's 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 Jardine to move across. So Jez, do you do you uh, support that, or do you have another name to throw into the hat potentially? I have a, I have a few. <laughs> yeah, um, keep it I, keep keep it quick, sweetie. <laughs> okay. Well, I still think we should talk about more of the Arsenal years. We haven't talked talk, oh, okay. mentioned Ori or Perez or anyone like that yet. But um, I think that. I, in a way, I think a, a little bit based on on what you're just talking about with Chris about sort of the, the hairdryer treatment and all of that. I think a lot of Arsenal players could do with a Conte or a Simeone. I'm not sure if the style of football would please Arsenal fans that much, but I think that would um, suit the club at the moment. If not, the other two names that I'd like to throw in. I agree, Tuchel would make sense if it wasn't for Sven. And I do like Jardim, and I saw that John Johnson tweeted something about possibility rumours that Jardim's leaving at the end of the season. Um, the other two names I'd like to throw into the hat are Allegri, who I think has, has done a brilliant job at Juventus, but I think he's sort of reached his limit there. Not his fault, but I don't, you know, don't think Juventus are quite capable of taking that next step in the Champions League. So it might be time for a change for him there. Um, and the other one, um, who there's always rumours about him leaving, and I know he's a bit of an itinerant and doesn't stay anywhere too long, but I think Lucien Favre would be a pretty mm. good fit for Arsenal. I think he plays some lovely football. I think he doesn't doesn't um, take shit from people. Um, you know, he's, he's, he can be defensively solid as well. Um, I'd, I'd like to see what, what he could do at a club like Arsenal. Yeah, definitely. Chris, Chris, do you, which of those would you pick, ideally? Um, I mean, Rich has nailed it for me. Um, Jardim is, is, is the one. I mean, I, okay, I appreciate I'm a little bit biased given what podcast we're on and, and what we love watching, but um, I've seen a lot 
of names thrown around as an Arsenal fan. I'm part of a lot of WhatsApp groups. We've been talking about it stuff and a lot of people are saying, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Carlo Ancelotti as well, although I, I do worry that maybe he'd be a bit too Wenger-esque in his approach, maybe, but I do like Carlo. But there's a lot of talk of sort of Mikel Arteta, Patrick Vieira, neither of which I think are, are ready at this stage. No, it feels like you need somebody experienced and solid to stand yeah. in now before maybe one of those maybe more romantic Coming under the wing. Um, yeah. choices, I mean, however Arteta, good they are. But that would Arteta be or Vieira yeah. underneath someone would be ideal. The problem you've yeah. got at the moment, particularly with Vieira, is he's already managing, so why would he step down? And Arteta is arguably with, you know, quote-unquote, the, the best coach in the world ever and in the history of football, according to some. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, I mean, for me, Jardim fits the bill. I, I tweeted the other night about it, and I got the, the standard replies from the idiots. Did you not see him against PSG the other night? <laughs> And, it, you know, it's just such a lazy argument from people who clearly don't watch French football. One gentleman in particular actually did say to me that he actually watches a lot of games at the Stade Louis Deux and he lives in France. So I kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt. But that gentleman also told me that Rogers was a perfect fit. So I immediately discounted every opinion he had. <laughs> um, hello to you, sir, if you're listening. But yeah, I, I think Jardim fits the bill. Um, it seems a good time. To, to make a change, not just for Arsenal, but for Monaco. Ironically, you could possibly send Arsenal back to Monaco. Um, and I think also it would enable us to potentially get Tom and Lamar, which I know would upset Jazz, but would make me very happy. Um, and I just as think long that as he doesn't go to Liverpool. Well, yeah, true. I, I just think Jardim is a very, very good fit. And, and I, th I think it would be a, a marriage um, potentially made in heaven. Um, you know, he, he would be happy to work under the restrictions that Ivan Gazidis clearly wants to put in place at Arsenal, but at the same time would be given the flexibility to, you know, to bring certain players in on a budget, which he's keen to do, improve players. Um, and and the, the ability to work, people forget under Jardim, he's not just your you're quiet sort of withdrawn um, manager that you often see in league on games, you know, he has a fiery side. Those comments after the gang game last weekend, where he sort of said, you know, I need to remind my players who pays their wages. You know, this is a manager who demands the best at all times from his, his club, whether they're second or top of the league or second bottom. Um, so, I mean, he, he's my choice, but there's so many names and, you know, this, I know I'm biased, but this is Arsenal football club. Any manager in the world should want, at least to, to have the opportunity to manage. Um, but yeah, Jardim for me would just be a really good fit. And I'd like Monaco's kit if we could have it, but sadly okay. that's not going <laughs> to So having, having seen the uh, leaked um, pictures of your apparent next year kit, oh, that mm. yeah, change, really. Um, yeah. So one thing Rich mentioned earlier was that there wasn't a complete overhaul of the Arsenal squad when Wenger joined. But as as Jez mentioned there, he really liked would like to talk about some of the acquisitions that were brought in. So lads, we're, we're running a bit over, so let's keep this to five minutes, but Wenger's best signings. Go. I think that, I mean, first of all, you know, we can't do a podcast without sort of talking about the invincible season, for example. I think that, that has to be dwelt on a little bit and I'll probably let Chris wax lyrical on that. But, um, <laughs> I mean, the, the obvious ones are the, the, the big stars. You know, people, like I said, people say that he, he didn't bring in his own defence or he, he just inherited a, a good defence. But um, also touching on what you said earlier, he brought in players like, like Lauren, who became you know, excellent players. Um, Kolo Ture, you know, a lot of players who didn't 
do that much or anything too special um, after they left. And actually, that's another point. The number of um, mercenaries who kind of, you know, he developed them into world-class players. And as soon as they got the chance, they did one. Like, you know, Nasri is the obvious one. Van Persie, obviously. Um, Ashley Cole, Cleb mm. as well. But, um, I mean, you, you obviously, obviously, from a French point of view, from... Um, you know, two of my favourite players ever, anywhere, ever. Ori and Pires are the obvious ones to bring up. I mean, Pires was, they were both always going to be talents. Um, Ori was already a World Cup winner, but was coming off a, a poor time at um, uh, Juventus. And, you know, it was Wenger who basically said to him, I'm going to convert you from a winger into a centre forward. And, you know, it might go badly at the start. You might get some stick at the start, but I'm going to stick by you. And I think it's probably safe to say that that worked out quite well for him. Um, you know, just, I was, I've actually written an article about Wenger that's going to appear elsewhere. And I just sort of picked out some of the, the great goals that have been scored while he's been manager. And, you know, it was obviously, the, well, it wasn't that obvious, actually. I, I had a choice of two for Bergkamp, and I went with the amazing Newcastle one. Pires, I went with the, the chip over Schmeichel. Oh. But Ori, you know, there's the there's the length of the pitch run against Spurs. There's the the back heel against Charlton, which you know, actually made me laugh <laughs> when he did it. There's the... Um, the flick and volley uh, against United. Oh, Man United, yeah. The flick yeah. and volley against United. There's the length of the field possibly my favourite. Yeah, that one as well. Possibly <laughs> my favourite is the, the, the Maisie run against Liverpool. Oh, which yeah. included, do, 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 do you which included guys causing Carragher and Gerrard to yeah. run into each other. <laughs> um, so, you know, that, the, so Ori, I think, you know, Arsenal fans used to chant, we've got the best player in the world. And I think um, for a while that they're right. I think... You know, he never won the, the, the big awards, but I think at least one year, possibly two, he probably should have done. Um, Pires, not the best player in the world, but he, he took an excellent player, you know, great prospect at Mess, obviously unbiased. Marseille, he kind of trod water a little bit. I think that the, the atmosphere in the club was a very hostile atmosphere, and he was still quite boyish at the time. I think it was a bit too much for him, especially when they made him captain, which was a mistake. Um, and the same kind of thing when he first arrived at Arsenal, there were there were a couple of doubts, but um, I think he just you know he turned him into a fantastic player and you know deservedly won the year one player the player of the year award, and um, uh, you know that 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 was the season where you know he did his knee ligaments just before the end of the season, and um, you know France's disaster in, in two thousand and two in the World Cup, a lot of people put it down to Zidane being injured. Pires was the the second in line to be to be the the playmaker, and he was also out. So um, it showed the value his value to France and his value to Arsenal as well. I think Pires and Ljungberg, it's often underrated. However many goals Henri scored year after year, the fact that Pires and Ljungberg were scoring well into double figures every single season was, I think, huge for Arsenal. And there's not many other teams that that you know lots of teams will have one dominant scorer but to have a second one who's always going to be in the sort of top five or something in the top scorer charts it, it you know makes a huge difference hmm. well said yeah okay so i think the final the final part of this tribute is that it's not an epitaph um i don't think any of us think that wenger is actually going to retire after this no. He says he's not tired. He's still got a lot to give. He's still 
clearly uh, very invested in just football. So the question then is, where does he go next? We've got a World Cup coming up in the summer and questions still relating to Deschamps' management of France. Is that a possibility? Or do we see him maybe going to well, another club? And if so, where? Rich? I think, I think from a World Cup and, and becoming coach of France, that only happens. Well, there's, an, there's only the possibility of that happening if France do a 2002 which I, it's, it's not going to curse everything here now, because... Well, Over 2010, it's not, possibly. It's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. It, we, it, unless it's an absolutely dismal, you know, bottom of the group, not getting out of the group performance, that's the only remote possibility. And even then, it's no guarantee that Deschamps goes. Mm. Um, you, know, you know, he seems to have got the entire uh, French Football Federation backing to to have this extension through to, um, through to 2020. So I, I don't, I, and even if he do, even if the job does become available, I don't necessarily see Wenger taken. For me, I can only see him ending up in one place and that that's PSG. Um, I think they'd be absolutely foolish if they weren't already, if they weren't already talking to him saying, you know, how would you be tempted? I don't mean that in a coaching role, I think in a in a sporting director role to provide so you, that. So you don't think that would be as manager? I d- no, I don't think it would be. I think given, I think given some of the things he said in the past about financial doping. I think well, he's he's, he's very, that might he's be very familiar with the Qataris. He's very familiar with the Qataris. Um, I'm not saying he's in it for the money, but there would be a very handsome payday there which is obviously going to be a very nice thing, but it's, it, he gets to oversee something that needs an over, it needs oversight. But would that, you know, be, we, would that be enough for him? If he's director yeah, of football, think, putting aside whoever the hell is director of football at the moment with somebody else on the sidelines? Yeah, I think it would. I think he gets to work with, you know, what hopefully can be morphed into a really, really, you know, world-class exciting squad. I think they're going to be looking at, you know, if, if Tuchel is the man to come in, there's going to be a really exciting young manager. And PSG need that kind of, that kind of person. They need that, that go-between, that buffer to stop El Khalifi interfering in this squad okay. and interfering in this team. Chris, do you think that that role, not being on the sideline, not picking the team, not picking the tactics, would satisfy Wenger? And if not, where do you think he'd go? Um, I think Rich makes some very, very good points, um, but I, I genuinely don't think it would suit Arsene just because he's, you know, you have to understand that Arsenal, he's literally done everything from build, uh, essentially build the stadium, uh, build a training ground and pick the cutlery. I mean, that's how much involvement he, he's had with the club. Um, so I think whilst Rich's points are absolutely 100% valid, and as you rightly say, PSG will be absolutely ridiculously stupid to not approach him um i think a managerial role is is a better option i i I can actually see him commanding some of the big guns still i still think there would be clubs in world football that would actually 
um, look at a manager like us and say, do you know yeah. what, there's still some some money left in him here. Mm. Um, I think of some of the big Italian clubs, if Sauri moved on from Napoli, for example, if um, if Inter Milan or AC Milan jobs came up, would they be interested? Um, some people even said Real Madrid. I, I think that's probably sailed, that ship now. Um, the one that I wonder... Um, the one that I, I'm, or the well, from a French perspective, the two that I'm slightly curious about. Um, one is is we've already mentioned is Monaco if Jardim goes, just because of the previous ties and links, and I, I don't think uh, Monaco would have too much issue uh, paying him a very decent salary, maybe not what he's on at Arsenal, but a decent salary and give him the opportunity to you know there's no expectations and arguably the fighting against the the juggernaut of PSG might appeal um the only other one I wonder about and this is probably really far-fetched and I know that uh Lana if you're listening clutch your your loins um would Leon not have a sniff yeah. if Genesio didn't stick around that that um, was my that was my one that that seems set up for him it's to a, it's a go match back made in heaven youth. isn't it yeah yeah isn't it? And I just wonder. massive academy the ability to buy decent players in as and when as you well. know a, a president who sticks his oar in uh, it would be i think that would be that would be kind of seems like the obvious choice if he came to France, given particularly mm. how things are swirling around Genesia. Jez, yeah. what do you think about about either that or just uh, Wenger's next move in general? Um, if that was a question for me, I mm -hmm. just stepped away for one sec because my doorbell okay. rang, so can you ask it again? Sorry. Um, where's Wenger going next? Might it be Lyon? I, yeah, I hadn't thought about that at all but I do think that's that's quite nice I mean I don't know you know he seems pretty um settled in London um so <laughs> I, yeah I mean I, I, I don't know if he wants to move but I think that um if if going back to France was an option Strasbourg still would have been a romantic option last year mm. I think but you know Jerry Lloyd's done a great job so I don't think that's going to happen now um, and yeah, going back to Monaco or or Lyon are really nice options. I, I actually, yeah, like I said, I hadn't thought about Lyon, but I do think that that could be a, an excellent move. Um, but PSG, to me, I agree. Although possibly as a coach, I think it. I, I'm not sure if he'd be too keen on the director of football role just because there'd be. You know, he'd really need the guarantees from, from Al Khalifi that he's not going to butt in. And, you know, if it is Tuchel, I'm not sure that Tuchel, we discussed before, I think Tuchel's mad to take the job anyway. Mm. But if he's got Wenger and Al Khalifi um, above him, that, that's yeah. a recipe for disaster. But if somehow they could they could get some kind of assurances that, that he's not going to be involved, then, yeah, I, th I think that could be a, a, a partnership that works really well. And Wenger speaks fluent German as well so you know that, that that's another reason why that would work well I think unfortunately because of recent years at Arsenal which again I still think are, I don't think he gets enough credit you know for again we didn't talk earlier that you know he spoke up to the the invincible season after that that what he did as well as designing the stadium as as, as uh, chris said i know that he's kind of teased about it because he said getting fourth place is like a trophy frankly it is um and that he got those 
trophies uh, fourth place year or the top four year after year I think is an amazing achievement and that he did it most of the time with, with no money to spend I genuinely don't think a single manager certainly Mourinho I'm not even sure Ferguson I don't think any manager other manager could have done that and even in recent years the last couple of years I think he's sort of been undermined a bit by the fact that Leicester won the title without the same kind of money as the as the really big clubs and the fact that he has had a bit more money to spend the last couple of years has sort of um, undermined him a little bit but at the same time you know three FA Cups in the last four years there's only a certain number of trophies to go around (laughs) so the fact that he's he's done that I think doesn't get enough credit but just the possibility of a Europa uh Europa title to go uh, out on that that would be beautiful i think but um even even in a venger special podcast i still annoyed marseille fans but um i i think that yeah unfortunately because of the way the world is and the way football is now i, I think possibly he has fallen out of fashion and maybe he won't have as that many choices or as many choices that he would have liked you know not as many teams would be interested but certainly I think if he wanted to go back to France I think there'd always be a place for him at pretty much any club going in France I mean you know as much as I like Hans and I do like him a lot um I would I would take Wenger tomorrow (laughs) so I think uh we're going to end the, the tribute there and move on to a little bit of um Ligue 1 and other French football admin, which is that we now have confirmed the finalists of the Coupe de France will be Les Herbiers, third tier team, only the fourth third tier team to make a final. None have ever won it before. They will be facing PSG after PSG beat Caen 3 1 uh, in the, the second semi final. So that will be happening. Checks calendar on the 8th of May, which is a public holiday, so that could all get a little bit feisty. Reims have been confirmed as champions of Ligue 2 and will be uh, promoted to Ligue 1 next season. Um, uh, and uh, the other two spots in the playoffs, including the playoff spot, are being decided as we speak. There's uh, some games going on. We've got a Europa League semi-final as OM host uh, Salzburg in the semi of the Europa League will be happening on Thursday. And we've got a Women's Champions League semi-final happening on Sunday, the second leg. OL need to win at home against Manchester City after a goalless draw in Manchester last Sunday. So we wait to see if OL can get their third consecutive title that continues. So looking forward to the weekend, we had some some movement last weekend. Nice and Saint-Étienne doing themselves a world of good in the clump for Europe uh, with their wins. Uh, Amiens have uh, nudged themselves up the table significantly. Strasbourg look to be in poor form. Um, we have uh, Caen versus Toulouse will be happening tomorrow, Wednesday night. That's the rearranged game after weather. Um, so what of the games at the weekend might we be looking out for, which could be important at either end of the table? Jeremy, I'm looking at you. Um, well, obviously, a huge match at the bottom of the table is Lille against Mess. Um, Mess should really have beaten Caen the other day. They dominated mm-hmm. them and were pegged back by a, a brilliant overhead kick by Dominguez. But um, 
um, you know, if they if they lose this weekend, that's it. They're definitely done yeah. for. If they win, possibly even draw, they've got a fighting chance. Although Trois have got a, a winnable match against Caen as well. But um, they then have an absolutely horrendous run in. So yeah, exactly. Trois but, are um, in big trouble. So I think if Mess can get a result, there's still hope. Um, there's stuff that came out in the news yesterday about. Um, Little, you know, some players going clubbing the night before their Marseille match, and um, a couple of others, including the captain, not turning up to the sort of post-match um, briefing. So just, there's just to mention, there. they Frankly, lost I'd, that OM match five-one. So I'd, I'd yeah. rather this stuff had come out after the after the mess match. Frankly, I'm worried that having come out before, now they're going to be sort of a little bit more Behaving motivated themselves. and yeah, Galtier <laughs> would have um, sorted them out. So I'm not very happy about that at all. Well, he um, seems to have, he seems to be taking a, a world of shit from the fans. I mean, he goes over, talks to them and ends up getting a mouthful of abuse. You can imagine he possibly wants to get the hell out of there as well. Cause things do not appear to be going particularly brilliantly. Um, Rich, is there any match that you want to, kind of point up as important other than the bottom of the table it go? Um, I think with the, the race for second now completely open again, mm-hmm. um, I think Leon v Nantes could be a, a, a game to watch purely on the basis that, that you know, Leon don't have too much of a tricky run in. This is probably, this and the, the final game at Nice are there two remaining tricky, what I would classify as tricky games. Um, I mean, the form that Leon are in, they should breeze this, but you just never know with Nong. You know, they are a, a pretty resolute side, not a entertaining in any way, shape or form. Um, but we'll, we'll put up a, a you know, a, a, a big roadblock for, for Leon to get through. But the form that the likes of well, Memphis Depay especially are in at the minute, I'm, I'm expecting a Leon win, but... Uh, you know, I think you could probably make a very good argument that at the minute, with it only being a point between second and then, uh, you know, Monaco in second and Lyon and, and Marseille in third and fourth, I could make a case that Lyon Lyon have the form and are playing the kind of football that I think they I think they could nick this this second place. Right. So we have a, a range of very interesting games to look forward to at the weekend, along with catch-up games, the Cup, uh, the Women's Champions League on Sunday, and of course the Europa League on Thursday. There will be a preview up on the site for that. We will also be starting a series of articles running up to the World Cup, which will be every Friday. Uh, we will be publishing something, hopefully, um, relating to the World Cup. We've got uh, a piece on France's tactical choices coming up for you. So that will be an interesting read. So um, having had this uh, tribute to Arsene Wenger this evening as a kind of special FFW podcast, my thanks very much to uh, guests, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Long live Arsene Wenger. Thank you. And (laughs) Jeremy and Rich. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And next week, uh, Chris will be back in his rightful seat uh, as we discuss more regular French goings on. Uh, So tune in then. If you have any questions, do hit us up on Twitter or under the article um, that's publishing the pod. And we'll try to get to those next week. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your French football and speak to you soon.